Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> He's making these freakish displays of power and pace look so routine at this point that there are no superlatives left to describe the man. Just look at what he did at the weekend. Swatting one opponent aside the side like a fly. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, please, continue. Oh, continue. Powering past the second defender as if he wasn't there. And then applying that curled left-footed finish we've become so familiar with this season. Yes, it truly was another great day for the machine, the Terminator, Miguel Angel Amaral. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see who was that? Oh, no, you're just laughing at me fucking up yeah, the game yeah, after yeah. all the, the big. No, the build up was really the extremely yeah, telegraphed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could yeah. Colin Wilson. But if you got, I haven't done one of those in a while, and you no, it immediately, the first immediately. Half <laughs> yeah. Well, see, yeah, Owen, yeah. Well, the, the point that, that this makes really is that your intro is never predictable. So the second it sounds really predictable, we know mm. that you're about to throw in a, uh, you know, um, a record scratch. Right a little, little record scratch, yeah. 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 That's probably the sound effect. I really, really well that. done. Or just though. never do that in type of intro yeah. again. <laughs> one one, one per year. I'm going to limit myself to one yeah, well, per year. Fair enough. God, he is really making Grillo eat his words. Oh, Grillo, 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 Grillo. What else? Help yeah, that was Grillo in the midst of the jubilant title celebrations last season. Mm, cruelly overserved Jack Grealish. Reaching through his brain, his slightly at that point adult brain, trying to think of some really mediocre Premier League player that he could compare one of his teammates. I think it was, I think it was Riyad Mahrez he was saying it had a, a poor game and Miguel Almiron is the one that jumped out of him for some reason. I don't know, and this Not seems like this sort of weirdly specific shade thrown by a fellow footballer that would actually inspire another footballer to the most outrageous spell of brilliant form he's ever had in his entire career. Well, it has been pointed out that Amaron has scored more Premier League goals this month than Jack Grealish has since joining Man City went over a year ago. (laughs) That's cold, Don. That's cold. I think Jack Grealish could well end up being a teammate of Amaron. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because, I mean, he's, you know... Okay, they don't need him at Man City. He's been doing okay. He's been doing okay at Man City this season, like in the last in the last few weeks. But still, like he's no Amaron, you yeah. know, in in terms of his actual impact. And when it comes to winning no games, Almiron. yeah, you know, he's no Miguel Almiron. Really, if you're looking for mm-hmm. if you're looking for players, um, you know, the thing about Newcastle is obviously they can they can now buy Jack Grealish if they mm. want. 
and uh, if if Man City are looking for somewhere, they might be able to offload him. There actually aren't that many candidate clubs, but Newcastle strikes me as a as a possibility. If of course Eddie Howe, who's who's been so sensible in his approach to team building, mm. you know. Like, and that, obviously, Newcastle. It's a real softly, softly approach up there. Isn't oh, it? it really is. You know, <laughs> that's what that's Rome wasn't built in a day. No, no, uh, that's what we've been. That, that was what a lot of the commentary over the weekend seemed to be. You know, they've been so sensitive. They've surprised people with their approach. The owners, you know, they've got. And you're like, they've spent more than Barcelona, like who have been going through one of the most insane, uh, you know, insanely extravagant moments in their recent history. And Newcastle have comfortably outspent them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In absolute, mm. in absolute terms. <laughs> you know, they've outspent nearly everybody in the world. You know, no one is saying like Todd Bowley. He's come in and he's been so sensible. You know, his whole approach has just been really you know let's take things one step at a time and he spent fractionally more than Newcastle have in 2022 you know um, it really is incredible uh, you know and it's and it's it's a statement win it's a landmark win for Newcastle how many how many times have Newcastle won at White Hart Lane in the last nine visits you're teeing this up like it's quite yeah, a few. Yeah, if you're asking me. If you have three? Well, if three. I had, oh, yeah, you would say, you'd say three because that sounds like they, it, it's obviously an impressive number of yeah, times yeah, because yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have yeah, asked yeah. that otherwise. It's five. Yeah. That was the fifth. <laughs> wow. That's the fifth win in the Premier League. So you're saying Steve Bruce made a few statements as well? Newcastle just have a, they, they just go down and trample on Tottenham mm. on, on a regular basis and then they get trampled on in return at their own ground. <laughs> That's been the strange pattern of this fixture. But you know, it does, it, it's obviously you win with like Saudi Arabia owning you um, and Eddie Howe doing such a good job you know like, oh my god right, it's just, oh my god Champions League this week this you is know, the last he season. just got it to you know just from January just from January 2022 things mm. just really turned around you know that's finally when his methods began to bed into the team and the hundreds of millions of investments started to flow into the team as well and uh, you know it's it's a great story and you know they're, they're fourth now mm. and they could well uh they could well make the Champions League. Well, I was just going to say, this is probably the last season in the pre-Newcastle era of Champions League football. So mm. enjoy it while you can before Newcastle start sensibly dominating all before them over the next few years. Wednesday night in particular looks tasty with Liverpool away to Ajax and Barcelona. You mentioned them, Ken. They're just about clinging on in the competition. They might not be clinging on for much longer. They're playing against Bayern Munich. Our World Service members will be treated to all the best coverage during the week. And we have mm. Kelly Harrington's book launch on Thursday night which will go out exclusively to members on Friday. That's going to be so much fun. So plenty to keep you going. If you fancy signing up for only a five or a month plus VAT on second cap and I stuff. Wonder, um, um, I wonder will Bayern Munich, you know, like they're through anyway, you know, so I'm sure they could field a dummy team. Mm. You know, I mean, they could do that. Mm. But something tells me Bayern Munich might be inclined to say, you know what, let's give RA team another run out. You know, you can yeah. never have too many chances to bed in a distinctive style, which also, you know, I mean, if that happens to be against Barcelona with the chance of knocking them out of uh, the Champions League, then fine. I mean, I think as well that you need to say that, you know, for all the the Germans get a little bit of a slagging for their lack of a sense of humour, I mean, they have to see the hilarity adherent in having the chance to knock Barcelona out of the Champions League at the group stage for the second year in a row after they've, uh, well... They've pulled all the levers they can pull. Well, you know, um, it's not it, ultimately it's not up to them. It's up to Inter. You know, all Inter needs to do is win one of their two remaining matches, and that's it for Barcelona. 
Uh, it doesn't even matter whether they beat if they beat Bayern, they they win the last two. If Inter win one of their last two, then Barcelona can't catch them. They can't finish ahead of them. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if they're gonna, they, they don't want Lewandowski to dominate them. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you Goretzka saying, you know, well, he was very spoiled here. Um, Lewandowski always playing in the Champions League knockout stages. Of course, if he has to play the Europa League, well, oh. you know, that's not really our problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's it, it will be a good game, I'm sure. But yeah, Barcelona have, have already made a mess of that job, I'm afraid, and need, need entry to make a mess of theirs. On today's podcast, the second Cristiano Ronaldo era may be going up in smoke at Old Trafford. Meanwhile, Leo Messi toils away at PSG. Scored a nice goal on the weekend, don't yeah, you saw it? Pretty no. amazing. Pretty I amazing. know. You didn't see it? Of course I didn't see it. Ah, uh, there you go. This is my point. Who's watching the par- the Paris League? I'm not watching it on, but <laughs> I did Paris watch the, I do watch the Messi goal clips. Yeah. And this was this was very nice. Well, that's nice to see. That's nice to see, but I still maintain it's it's look, they dominated football for a long time. They're they're in their dying embers both of those careers. The last 15 years really have been dominated by these two guys. Are the rivalries detailed in a new book by Wall Street Journal reporters Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg called Messi v Ronaldo, one rivalry, two goats and the era that remade the world's game. To quote the blurb, it's a deeply reported account of the intertwined sagas and legacies of two of the greatest players of all time, Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, examining how their rivalry has grown from a personal competition to a multi-billion dollar industry paralleling the stunning rise, overwhelming excesses and uncertain future of modern international soccer. Bearing in mind this is aimed in, at least in part at an American audience since the, the term soccer there it's an impressive blurb I'm going to say that Ken the book book is good yeah I enjoyed it um, it's it really is about that kind of I mean it's obviously about the two the two guys um, but it kind of the whole era that they defined and shaped and you know how they kind of changed the game really mm-hmm. so um, yeah that's uh, that was interesting I mean obviously Ronaldo came up a lot over the weekend he did, which we'll get into in your report on sport. But we're not going to start there, Ron. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Sent me a dummy, you know, dummy run there like I tried to do with you earlier on. Aston Villa have scored two goals after six minutes and 41 seconds. Off to tweet the earliest they have ever scored two goals in Premier League game with this their 1,050th match in the competition. Liberated. Which is a real stinger at the end. Liberated. Uh, has there ever been a like ding dong the witch is dead moment like this? You know, this was just like one of those. It was unbelievable. I mean, I, I was kind of waiting to hear about well the the tactical revolution that you know uh, precipitated this avalanche of goals. But no, it was just people feeling good about themselves again. That was basically <laughs> all well, that I could. Well, see. Aaron Danks was the the mastermind. He sounds like a bad boy of Brexit. He's he does. a very good boy of the technical area. <laughs> and uh, what did he do? Uh, what did he do? Well, he, he Honestly, dropped... Honestly, four times his name was said on matches. I was like, no, it can't be Kevin. Aaron, Aaron Danks. And then, and then it, it sounds like the other guy should be called Aaron Danks. Aaron Danks. And this guy should be Aaron Banks. Aaron Banks, which is just a more uh, kind of a normal name. Yeah. Um, but Aaron Danks, uh, he, um, he was appointed by Dean Smith. Uh, after working with Vincent Company over at Anderlecht, uh, he kept his job uh, throughout the Gerard era, and he kept his job after mm. the Gerard era. Uh, he said, "You know, it's it's sad to see people, you know, go when you've you've worked with closely and you mm. who you hold in very high regard." But of course, I was focused on the game for the sake of the I country. To, someone has to, look, to step up. I had to look to the future. Yeah. So what did he do? He dropped uh, Super John McGinn, the man who Stephen Gerrard had. Uh, 
had made captain, saying this will give Tyrone Mings more time to work on his own game without the distraction of the captaincy. And with the, the uncanny way that Stephen Gerrard's statements about Aston Villa seemed to kind of bear out like a witch's curse in the opposite direction, it, McGinn then seemed to be completely, well, you know, let's just say McGinn's form collapsed at the same time that he became captain, whether or not it was the captain's armband that was weighing on him heavily and whether he would have appreciated not having had that responsibility so he'd work in his own game. We don't really know. But I guess, uh, I mean, he, he hasn't been stripped of the captaincy or anything, but he is no longer in the uh, in the team or wasn't in the team yesterday. Uh, took out Jacob Ramsey, Ramsey as well. So basically changed the formation from 4-3-3. Jared was kind of playing always this narrow 4-3-3, uh, which I guess is a bit like um, what Liverpool were doing, you know, the, what Liverpool have been doing for most of the club. But of course, Liverpool themselves have stopped doing it this season uh, for different reasons, I guess. But he always kind of stuck with this. And people were saying, no, this doesn't work. We don't create any chances. We don't score any goals. You know, it doesn't have any room for... We've got, you know, whatever about bringing in Coutinho when you've already got Buendia, this formation actually doesn't really accommodate either of them. You know, you can't even get one of them in. Whereas if you play 4-3-2-1, or 4-2-3-1 rather, you can at least play a number 10. So this is what he did. Uh, he put in Dendonker, uh, he put in Buendia, changed from 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1, told them play with energy. And most importantly, was not Steven Gerrard at any <laughs> at any moment while he was doing all this. He also had Douglas Louise in the team, which was a surprise. Uh, well, it wasn't really a surprise because people knew what had happened, but certainly on Thursday evening, it didn't look as though Douglas Louise was going to be available because he's just been sent off against Fulham. And this is just such a classic example of of, of Gerrard. The rotten look that can sometimes befall Steven Gerrard? Rotten look, you say, right? Because he, get, he, get, he gets sent off uh, and the red card was rescinded. Um, but after the sending off on the night, Gerard himself was asked, I mean, he, you know, in his last interview, he was saying, well, you know, uh, he said, well, we were way short of what we needed in the first half. And then I got in amongst the players at halftime to try to get that reaction. But then you come out the second half, you go down 10 men and mm. it's very difficult then really, you know, so he, he did all he could. But then the next question was about Douglas Louise's red card. Well, you know, it was, that was a tough one. What do you think of that? And he goes, well, now, did you actually see the, the thing he got sent off for? Yeah, but so, uh, we were, as I was saying last week, we were live in Premier Sports at the time actually doing the Leicester game when it mm. looked like Brendan Rodgers might get sacked, uh, Leicester against Leeds. Yeah. Well, now it looks like Jesse Marsh might get sacked. So the highlights were coming in and I think Stephen Kelly actually said that looks a bit soft, but the replays we were getting weren't, didn't look, they didn't seem to have any real close-up that, met, that it just looked as though it was one of those slightly footballer headbutty type things. Yeah, but it wasn't a headbutt. Mm. It was basically a belly barge so the two of them, it was Mitrovic and um, and Douglas Louise. They just kind of were chest to chest, you mm. know, this kind of posturing stuff. But he never headbutts him. Um, Mitrovic maybe uh, acts as though he has been, but he, you know he doesn't. And, and if you have a VAR, that's supposed that's mm. what he's supposed to do. I mean, but, but what Gerard said was, if you do that, if you go head to head which he didn't. You give the referee a decision to make. We live in an age when there are cameras everywhere. You can't get away with that sort of thing. I've certainly got no complaints. <laughs> so it's just so sort of defeatist. Like, you know, in the sense of, like no, normally a manager sees a, sees a player sent off for like, uh, in a, wrongly sent off. It's absolutely, 
is, is irate and is complaining mm. and is saying it's all, uh, you know, we've got to ask serious questions. And mm. But Jared's just like, no, nah, no complaints. <laughs> well, luckily, someone at Villa did have complaints about it. <laughs> and they complained. And the FA said, OK, well, that was a bad decision. Sorry. Mm. You know, we you're reinstated. Mm. And he was there to set up the first goal after one minute. So that was good. Villa. The whole place explodes, and then they score again. Ah, oh, this is incredible! And they score again, and it's three 0 after fifteen minutes, and it's just, you know, Thomas Frank's just like, well, what can we, you know, we just, we today just made a we better met a force today. of nature. <laughs> it's like, there's just, there's never been a day of jubilee like this. I mean, it's I, like England I, in Crow Park in two thousand and seven. You know, it's like <laughs> an entire country was a, was against us. We stood no chance. It's just amazing, like the whole, you know, like at the end of Frozen, like all the ice has melted or whatever, and it's every, everyone it's summer again. Spoiler, it's, Jesus! Like, what is this? Like, this is just it was it was it was actually awful. Like, I felt I felt sorry for for Jared. You know, it, the, do you the, think the he was watching? Goal. Do you think he was watching? Because no. people kept saying, if Stephen Jared was, of course was watching, he's not this. watching. No, I didn't think so. I mean, you would know, you would know, you you wouldn't be watching that, would you? I mean, I, I certainly. Ooh. I mean, I can imagine some people might, but I don't think he. I think he would probably have been like somewhere else. And although he, I'm pretty sure he would have heard about it, <laughs> the alerts are popping in his phone. I'd say he so, would have. Yeah. He might have checked you know, live score. We we have seen a lot of managers in this scenario. You know where you know the new manager bounce or whatever, yeah. and it is kind of like oh, you know the players. You know they they started playing, but there was something different about Villa Park on Saturday. It was it was like the idea that it wasn't just like the players that felt li- literally everyone in the ground just felt amazing. Yeah, because they, they had that feeling that you have when you've been in an argument with somebody, like a pub argument, and then you find, well, nowadays you just find out straight away, you go on your phone. But mm. back in the day, you'd find out later on, I was right. Yeah. I knew I was fucking <laughs> right about that. And that's exactly, Villa fans feel, I yeah. was right. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, Danks are saying, look, the, the strikers have, have had chances, uh, a lot of chances in recent matches, but today they were clinical. I was like, did you see that Ollie Watkins goal? Ollie, Ollie Watkins had three goals in it. <laughs> like the first shot was saved, the second one hits the post and bounces back to him off the defender. And then he finally slams it in the third event, third, third attempt rather. That was, that's the kind of thing you that happens when things clinical. are going your way. Yeah, you wouldn't call it clinical. I wouldn't say it was clinical, but he got the job done. So that was, uh, I'll tell you he was clinical. Coach Rogers is Leicester. Mm. Uh, four goals from the first four shots I think I heard on Match of the Day four goals from their only four shots I think I oh, heard better uh, or maybe, wow. maybe maybe sorry maybe they had five and scored four um, Nathan Collins uh, did a big uh, interview after I don't know if you saw that well a, a big interview it wasn't like some this is your life you know but he, he was very critical I saw the quotes yeah. of the team yeah you know it's uh, it's a shambles a poor performance embarrassing playing that day so I feel ashamed for me and the players we need a reaction uh, we had so many chances we had the better chances but we don't score a goal I mean this has been the problem for Wolves just not being able to score you know the, I think they're the only team that scored less than Villa I just said if you go on th- Un- until well, I'm not sure where Villa are now mm-hmm. Villa have obviously scored four goals so they've probably scored you're Nathan Collins it's funny he did mention myself and the rest of the leadership group have to sort this out it's funny, he's, only, he's, he's young and just in the door but really he there are there's just been this idea around him the whole time that he's, he, he is this massive leader and this massive figure which he's going to have to continue to prove over the course of this season. He is just back from suspension himself. Oh yeah, yeah which no. was self-inflicted. It's, it's it's been bad. It's 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 been a bad month for him. Obviously, since the since the suspension, the red card disaster, yeah. and the, and he did. I wasn't hugely impressed with some of the stuff I saw from him. No, I mean Madison walked around him for one of the goals. Mm. Now again, like I, I saw, Collins ended up doing a lot of pointing, like. Um, 
where you know one of the I think it was the first Leicester goal where there was a one-two, and Collins then who who was the nearest defender to the goal scorer seemed to sort of be blaming his right back for not going with the runner, which yeah maybe, but like there was plenty. He, he was nowhere near blocking the shot. Then Madison sort of walked past him and he kind of dived in, um, but didn't get near the ball. So it wasn't his greatest game. I mean, obviously the comments reflect that, but it's always a little, <laughs> you know, when you're a 20 year old central defender who hasn't had the best game himself to sort of slam everyone. What are well, the teammates look, he's thinking? A he's a confident lad. There's also, the, the, I always get the impression when I hear players, and Ivan Tony was similar actually after Brentford. Yeah. He, described it as they were like kids and he basically very it was a shambles quite similar sort of language I was like where do you go from there because yeah. you're going to have another game that you lose and it, it, the way Wolves are at the moment you might have quite a few of them so once you start going down that road it's, it's sort of you have to keep up in the end <laughs> the Harry Maguire social media apology thing you know you're just waiting for your Nathan Collins mm. I'm picturing actually another Irish Seamus Coleman had to do, has had to do a lot of those over the last number of years yeah. at Everton Seamus Coleman what Not a game, at the weekend. What a game yeah. bloody good took a bloody oh. victory lap this See you later, Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that oh. didn't escape the notice of Frank Lampard. You know, one of the best men he's ever seen against one of the best one-on-one players in the Premier League. That was mm-hmm. how he saw that matchup. <laughs> but uh, human qualities won the day. <laughs> against dribbling qualities. Well, you know, that's, that's all very well. But, you know, he's... Coleman was getting to the ball first, mm. you know, fractionally ahead of the man. So not a penalty. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. Everton generally is one of the, the best days they've had in a while, I yeah. think, and one of the best goals they've scored with the McNeil goal was brilliant. But um, just on the, <laughs> the Rogers there, obviously I read Graham Soonis's column in t- uh, Mail Plus. Um, uh, it's been interesting hearing Stephen Gerrard and Brendan Rogers talking about the situations they're in over the past few months. Brendan has been saying Leicester City's target is forty points the kind of comment that would have had me leading a delegation to the door of any manager of mine. I'd be asking him, is that how low your opinion of me is? I'm only good enough to just survive? Is that what you think of me and my mates? Can you imagine this situation? Like, how crazy that would have been. Graham Souness, midfielder of the bottom team in the league, leads a delegation to the... To, to the you know, in the situation that Rogers, That's the context yeah. of Rogers' comments. Like, we're, we've made a disastrous start to the season and... You know, releg- avoiding relegations now. The I'm going to the Europa League with or without you, Rogers. <laughs> I just wouldn't be having that. Sue says Rogers is an extremely good talker and wouldn't be out of place in the Westminster bubble. But I'm not sure he's got enough credit in the bank to weather this storm. The noises were very different from Stephen. He fronted up and was ready. To, of course, he fronted up and was ready to take the responsibility for Villa's poor results. He said there was no more he could ask of the owners, even when Mauricio Pochettino's name was connected with his own job. I don't think he can have any complaints about Villa calling time with him. Time is even less your friend than ever before in our game. Would, wouldn't be out of place in the Westminster bubble is surely the most scathing thing Graham Souness could say about any Premier League manager. And that's what he said. But, you know, yeah. I'm saying it's a fixture list is looking after Coach, Coach Rogers. How so? Well, the the getting a, a game against Wolves uh, to uh, immediately following their game against Leeds, which they also won mm. handsomely. And Leeds, uh, Leeds seem like a good team to play at the moment. And and again, co- like so, you're saying about Coach Marsh. Mm. Um, you know, I, one of my, I mean, a number of my friends are Leeds fans, but one of them who is a Leeds fan texted me during the game. Said the text just said, "Be a good Yank and go home." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which, which, okay. I, th- I thought, well, is, is this the is, for our English the listeners? This is from a quote from the field, uh, yeah. 1990 release. 
Well, uh, uh, earlier, earlier for our American time, listeners, Murph, they're they're the ones who might have taken offence. Well, yeah. that's true. I mean, a lot of people could have taken offence. Well, a lot of I'm people. I try to cover people as might have taken offence. It's offensive language. Oh, offensive language. But of course, it was a is quotation from the great John B. Keane. Mm. Um, a land dispute, you know, those types of things. But seems to be seem to be the, that emotions are running high at Leeds because after they lost uh, to Leicester, uh, Coach Marsh uh, beat a quick uh, exit down the down mm. the tunnel or whatever. But the prompting the Leeds fans, the away fans, to start uh, singing, where the fuck is Jesse Marsh? Mm. So this time, after losing 3-2 at home, <laughs> he he made this mournful sort of pilgrimage to, uh, <laughs> all around the stadium, all around the stadium, to be abused by everybody. <laughs> all, all the kids in the stadium got to see their dads just screaming, you know, go home, Marsh. Uh, <laughs> And then he comes out and he's like, we've, we've, got to, we've got to stop the bleeding, you know? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seems like, um, it seems like it's not, it's not going to work out. Eight games, is it without a win? They were, oh my, they were really good against Arsenal. The games are happening so fast at the moment with the midweek matches on as well that a week ago, it okay, they're on a bad run, but nobody was, I don't think, maybe Leeds fans were, but generally, Marsh wasn't one of the probably top five most likely managers to get relegated, to get to lose his job next mm. because they were pretty good probably deserved to win that game or at least draw it but not good against Leicester and it seems pretty woeful at the weekend things aren't looking good for him now well their last win was when they beat Chelsea 3-0 in August that's their last win in the league yeah, and that's, that's a then, long time ago since then it's um, since then it's eight uh, matches two draws six defeats um, so. Liverpool next Liverpool next, and if he'll be there, I mean, I think he's got a, a decent record in Anfield. I mean, he, he managed Red Bull Salzburg at Anfield when Erling Haaland was in his team, and was it four three in the end? I think it was. I think they came back. Salzburg came back into the game, but ended up losing unluckily. Um, obviously, that result wouldn't be wouldn't be super useful to him in any case. But uh, yeah, it's it it just goes to show you you know once you 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 leave the fans behind and they get annoyed and then you go and. You applaud them and they scream in your face. So, well, he just can't win. Um, another crisis club, obviously, is Tottenham. I mean, <laughs> everyone is is plunged into crisis with with a couple of exceptions. Who we'll get to, uh, obviously Villa, but there's a couple of others. Um, Tottenham lost at home, so two defeats in a row. Uh, you know, things have taken a sharp a downturn. Conte talking about we need two or three. Uh, transfer windows to be competitive and sort of looking jealously at Newcastle, who who have been so sensible. If only Tottenham could be, if only Tottenham could bring some of that good, just good sense to their team building, maybe they wouldn't be in the mess they are. Uh, one of the problems they have, I think, Tottenham is Kulisevsky is injured and now Conte's saying maybe won't be back till after the World Cup, mm. which has been a huge blow to them. Like, if you think about what happened when, when he actually came into the team at the beginning of the year, that's when that's when the the team kind of exploded at that at that time in a good way, mm. uh, scoring tons and tons of goals because he's just such a good player in the kind of transition moments that that, that Conte's game is all about. Like in, he can both score and pass and carry the ball and also is very physically strong. This is a good combination of things for Conte team, and without him, they're really missing that kind of link. I think the attack and defense isn't really linked. Um, and you know they, like Newcastle, were not flattered by the by the win. So um, now Tottenham, I guess the aim of their season is to like make sure they finish ahead of Newcastle. I mean that's what it's kind of from a position of well, you know, could we do this? To, mm, we just need to make sure we finish ahead of them, and then we'll probably be in the Champions League. 
Um, same same situation at Liverpool. I was just on Spurs. I, I, I felt like they weren't really... People weren't taking them... I felt like they were a win away from being taken really seriously. Like if they had beaten Manchester United during the week, it would yeah, okay. have been all... But wow, this is absolutely... But they, they lost that and now... Obviously, having lost this one as well. Yeah, they're two to bad teams to lose like to as well. Kind of feels like back to where we thought they might be. Yeah, and these yeah. are the sort of rivals. Yeah, yeah, and and losing those, yeah, it's it's bad. Um, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Liverpool lost again. You know, it's and uh, really and and Klopp after this game and and okay, the 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 game ultimately was all about Dean Henderson. Hmm. Dean Henderson, who made a fantastic save at Idris Abbott, had made a few saves during the game. Um, and then told the Liverpool fans to fuck off. <laughs> well, em- embrace the Nottingham Forest fans. Mm. He is, of course, still a Manchester United player, but then made sure to tell Liverpool fans what they thought, what he thought of of them too, mm. which which instantly propelled it into another stratosphere of virality. What a save on Salah was it in the uh, in injury time? There were a couple of saves. Van Dijk, Van Dijk, Van Dijk sorry, header, sorry, yeah. Van Dijk, yeah. yeah, in yeah. injury time. Or if you're a big Dean Henderson fan. Been on record as, as saying Henry oh. should at least be number two out of the in this race to be uh, England goalkeeper at the World Cup. No, no, he's, no, you he's number two on a, on, a, on a list of English goalkeepers that I have, not based on performance, though. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the biggest twat? I think he's number two on that one. I'm, right. I'm not even going to ask you number one. Yeah, well, listen, there are a lot of. I'd rather no, look, look. He did. He 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 did. He did well. Oh look. Dean Henderson has run into the crowd in a, uh, a an outrageous show of personality. That's something I've never <laughs> thought I'd say. Oh, there uh, he is. Look at how much of a personality he is. <laughs> well, uh, well, Klopp was was really angry after this game, but blaming his uh, players for missing no-brainer chances, which was. I mean, Van Dijk obviously had the save from, but then there was a couple of others where he didn't even put it on target, or he seemed, he tried to go across goal. When you're like, just head it in. What are you doing? And then Forrest scored. A uh, former uh, Liverpool player who I don't think ever played for them. Owen mm-hmm. scoring for them. You know, I I know we we've kind of done the non-celebration celebration thing to death here, but in this scenario, did he do that? I mean, he barely he, he barely celebrated. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize. No, I didn't he, connect he that. kind of kept his kept his head down. Like, very much kept his counsel. Oh, it was because I mean, it was a huge goal for I mean, Forest. Like, like you're playing up front for Nottingham Forest. There mm. will there will almost certainly not be another uh, occasion like this in your season. Most people don't know you used to play for yeah, them. Like, I mean, you, you actually didn't play for them. Yeah, you just were you just were owned by them. Yeah, <laughs> they I mean, made uh, money. They made money at your expense. They made I don't money think off anyone, the back. Yeah, of exactly. I mean, uh, Liverpool. You know. The, they, the, the ledger you, they traded you as a commodity. Yeah, uh, the the ledger is absolutely clear. <laughs> Please feel Murphy, free. To... I get involved in this one, but what's the point? People know my feelings on this. I know. I, 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 I'd be back. That's why it's, I, it's like the, I knew it it's was like the, it's like the postman delivering the post. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt I had to raise it because I know that you can't anymore. On you've said all that you all that you want to say on this topic. But the, the yeah, the problem that people have, you know, it's just their squad doesn't seem to be able to handle the games at all. You know, they've got so many injuries. And then when they have a certain amount of injuries, you know, Jota is injured, uh, Diaz is injured, Darwin Nunez has got a problem, feels his hamstring, is that, mm, could he play? Maybe, but not if the other two were injured because even though them being injured means we need him more, them being injured means that if he gets injured, we're even in even more trouble. So leave him out and then lose anyway. So it's real. It's a, a kind of a um, cascading effect yeah. of yeah. Uh, so big problems. But uh, well, okay. And so so United Chelsea. I mean, looks like the big game of the weekend was actually a boring game, mm. but had a had a good ending. Mm. 
And uh, is Casemiro now your favourite player, Murph? He's proper, isn't he? Yeah. Just a proper a man proper at it in the middle of the field. He's yeah. at it all the time. Oh. He's a proper man. Yeah. You know, Whack. that header. Oh. That's a proper. That was a proper. <laughs> it was. It was a proper goal from a proper footballer in a proper league. Yeah. Can I just say that as well? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's finally, he's given up the, the farm leagues. He's come over here. He's respected our league. <laughs> I would have to say that. He has respected our league. Our league. He sat, he sat in the Everything is our now. Yeah, yeah. okay. It's our BBC. 100 years of our, our BBC. BBC. 100 yeah. Our NHS. Yeah. Our league. Well, as, they're afraid the Americans are going to buy it all. As, yeah, well, <laughs> as the actual, put it on, the actual put it on sense the of solidarity in society dissolves to nothingness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything becomes our this and our that. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah. What's left of so our sat, country? Yeah, he sat, sat on the bench uh, in our league, respectfully. Yeah. Uh, for the first couple of weeks, yeah. then respectfully came on, started dominating our league, and now we can really see a proper man at it in the Manchester Manchester United midfield yeah. for the first time, and it seems like a very long time. It is. And, it's and great. It's, it's great to see, isn't it? Oh. This, yeah, big oh. strong legs on him, roaming around there. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> 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 no, Sorry, a great. lot of the commentary about Casemiro is basically what I've just said. Yeah, uh, you know he's he's got a presence about him, hasn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He really does. You know, he's gone in there. He's a leader. He is a leader. Now he's, he's got leader. authority. He's got he's got brings that composure. But he, okay, as I said, it wasn't it wasn't really a great game. McTominay obviously gave away a penalty. Then um, Casemiro saved his blushes uh, with a great header. Um, yeah, Chelsea. I kind of feel as though they they. You know, I don't, again, Aubameyang, I think it's going to be a problem for them. I don't really see the point of him anymore. You know, I mean, I think he's a good, he's obviously been a very good goal scorer but in his time, but I just don't really understand what he's, what he's supposed to do in this Graham Potter team. It doesn't really help his teammates out much, I don't feel. The same problem that Arsenal had with him ultimately is why they decided really to let him go. I mean, if, if Aubameyang... Disciplinary been, issues. Yeah, but if he'd, if he'd been turning, turning up, up, if he'd been turning up late to the, to the meetings, but what also was like one of the most important players in the team, then it would have been like, well, let's have the meeting five minutes later or whatever. You know, but <laughs> as it was, it, he was, it was an easy decision in some ways. Introduce he, him as your guest speaker when he comes in late, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, and then Varane, there was good news on him that his, his injury isn't as bad as he obviously thought it was because yeah. it was kind of awful to see how him crying and obviously thought he was out of the World Cup or had had suffered a really bad injury. It seems like it wasn't that bad. The Chelsea fans uh, soundtrack of wanker, wanker as he as he cried and was led away was uh, I mean it was nice to see. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing that happened out of this game was <clears throat> John Bruin was on with us on Thursday and he said during that, that uh, chat that uh, when Roy Keane talks about the disrespect that Man United have shown to Ronaldo he's clearly talking about himself. And I've seldom seen a comment be more immediately and thoroughly validated by what then proceeded to happen than than in the uh, the uh, which Gary Gary Neville actually reviewed the conversation they were having in real time by saying this is great television. Um, Five stars, Gary Neville. But Keane, like they, they had this argument, Keane, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, and, and Neville about Ronaldo, and it was honestly it was like. You, yeah, you've seen yeah, the thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, we're talking about it, so it was interesting in the sense that there was people shouting at each other. Um, Keane was saying, so you know, when you get that as a senior pro, it's almost that justified anger. You know, he is going to react that way, and you're like, okay, well, have you ever been in a situation like this before, where you <laughs> felt you were justified in being angry at the club for something? But um, 
you know, they they were having an argument about it. Um, and I thought Neville and Hasselbank were basically correct that like Ronaldo doesn't really deserve a place in the team anymore. Because Ronaldo, okay, he, he left the game already, everybody saw, and then Ten Hag dropped him from the squad for this game. Um, and then, you know, they, they were sort of arguing about this and Keane's attitude was, well, you know, he's a great player. Not even saying he shouldn't, you know, that's fine. Just saying who cares, more or less. Mm. And, uh, but, but so I thought Neville has something basically correct. Keane just started sort of revealing stuff about himself. Here's one, here's one point that he, he made. What I love about Ronaldo now, he's 37. And I'm not saying what he's done in the last few weeks is getting a thumbs up far from him. But he's obviously had enough. But Roy, he snapped. You... Ronaldo's 37. He still wants to be the best in the world. That's why I admire him. I see players. Yeah, we okay, here. okay. We, we, we see their week and week and week and we we praise bad players week bluffers. in, week out. Yeah, I, he says bluffers later on as well. And I was like, is that what he was trying to say while he was being shouted down by the lads? But it was bad players is what he was saying. But well, it's the same basic. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Like, you know, it, this is this is how the world looks or how the Premier League looks when you yourself are a proper, proper player and man. Almost everybody seems like they're shit. <laughs> You know, this is the this is the the, the perspective is so elevated mm -hmm. that only Ronaldo and a handful of other players qualified to be taken seriously, and the rest are like you know we, you know, Keane, implicit in what Keane said, we're as guilty in propagating this bullshit as any. We we sit here praising bad players. I, you know, I'm like someone like me is like, wow, look, these guys are amazing. You know, like have you seen this guy Mbwemo? He's like Hercules. You know, <laughs> <laughs> these guys like the you know the the ability, the athletic uh, power of these Premier League players is just to me is amazing. These guys, like, you know, and basically they're they're all shit. And if you're not, then the rules are different for you, and you get judged by different standards. And people make allowances for you that you know, uh, including people believe things about you which are clearly wrong. Here's Keane again. But he gives you something back. Right. We sit every week. Well, he, doesn't he doesn't give oh, enough Jimmy. back. He doesn't give enough back at the moment. No, he does not give enough back at the moment. He doesn't. He scores a goal every two games. It, it, he scores a goal every two games for Man United. It doesn't. He, he doesn't. Does. Do you want the stats? Yeah, but he scores a goal every two but games. But they lose games with him. They can't carry him. They can't carry him. against Man City. They can't carry him. They lost the brain. They always go on to the He sounds younger when he's screaming like that. That sounds like Roy Keane. Well, the voice goes up. It goes up and then, yeah. It, it takes years off him, Roy, the anger. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the doctors say, all right, old. <laughs> if you're a man in your 50s, try and get angry as much as possible. Uh, I Could mean, have coffee, uh, speckle-filled uh, speckle uh, uh, fits of rage, all of that. That'll really help the, the, the blood pressure. But it's it's just like he scores a goal every two games. I mean, he doesn't. You know, that's the problem. Even if he was doing that, he might have. He scored one goal in the league this season in in a little over six game or six games worth of minutes, uh, and one in the Europa League. Uh, so he's he's scoring a goal every no. Sorry, in four games. It's an argument he could have made last season. He's, he's scoring a, goals last season. Yeah, and I mean there would have been problems with it last season, but this season it's it's not even it doesn't it's mm. not even fact you know it's not even factual like he's he's scoring a goal every four games at the moment he's played 90 minutes six times he hasn't scored a goal in any of those games one of those 90 minutes was the game, the game at Brentford that Keane referred to and he played 90 minutes in the 4-0 against Brentford you know what I mean he played in the Brighton game that they lost as well so you know there really is no case I mean but in terms of, from Ronaldo's point of view and I thought I actually was thinking about it more in the light of the piece that you're about to hear now with 
talking to Josh Robinson, mm-hmm. or having read his books, there's some really amazing stories in there just about his his very singular outlook on the world, let's say. Like there's a mentality there which is quite unusual. And I don't I you know, I don't think Ronaldo's necessarily entirely in con- he's not entirely in control of the way he feels about things. What he is doing at United now, or what he's what he kind of where he sees himself in, at this point in his career, which has been you know a legendary career, is like uh, he's on like a historic uh, quest to you know increase the, the increase the final tally, the number of goals. Like he's just adding goals. That's that's where it's at now. It's like uh, and and every time he can't play, that's another week wasted, and there's not that many of them left. Even he accepts that I, I've got a finite number. It maybe I can play four more seasons at the top level. You know, he says this kind of thing, whatever. But even still, that's one match day out of those four four more seasons mm. that you're that is not going to go. That is not adding to the pile. I don't know if you've seen Tom Brady over the last couple of weeks, but. There's no good news coming from that side of the Atlantic either. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old Tom's got the zipper frame out at long last. <laughs> well, he's like nearly 50 years old. <laughs> he's 45. That's mid 40s. <laughs> but yeah, but but so he he's kind of looking. He's not, he doesn't care about like what's happening day to day at Man United or like putting his shoulder around Marcus Rashford or trying to mentor the young players or any of that. It's like he's thinking in historic terms. That's his time. His time scale is all of history. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I've got a, I've got one chance to leave the maximum number of goals behind, which will be my message to mm-hmm. history. And this guy, Eric Ten Hag, is preventing me from doing that. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is an act, a monumental act of cultural vandalism, as far as Ronaldo's concerned. How dare he do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I've built the temple, and this guy is letting pigs live in, in my temple. <laughs> you know, am I just going to sit here and say, well, that's fine? You know, th- these pigs are good young pigs. I like the I like the look of these guys. Let you know. me go in there and shovel some of their shit. No, no, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to I'm going to throw my hands up and complain. So that's the way Ronaldo sees it. Is it a rational way to look at things? No, it's not the mentality most of us recognise on. Most of us are a little bit different from this guy. I'm going to review this report on sport as it goes, Murph. Gary Neville, oh, yeah, okay. very good. Uh, four I'd, and a half stars. Thought it was. Thought it was. Excellent. Oh, should we just mention, by the way? Uh, also, Mbappe comes up in this. The Parisian, the the. Um, the, the Parisian newspaper uh, has uh, has published. Uh, Sorry, what's the translation? The Parisian. Le Parisian is, it's, it's, is it's, what? It's, it's a newspaper from Paris. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Based in Paris, like a lot of the French elites, <laughs> and uh, they've done a, a story today that Mbappe's contract at PSG is six hundred thirty million euros over three years. That's the, that's what they're paying him two hundred ten million a year, so four four million a week. This is fifty percent more. Than the giant messy 555 million euro contract that sank Barcelona, right? It's it's in terms of per week, per month, per year. It's 50. He, Mbappe's earning 50 percent more than Messi was on that contract, which uh, this is something that comes up in the chat with Josh. Was obviously not a great decision for Barcelona <clears throat> and required some pretty ruthless uh, bargaining by Messi's father, Jorge Messi. Uh, and also required Messi, by the way, to completely transform the expectations of or, or the people's beliefs of what was possible in the sport. Right. You know, he had to do that for like mm. he had to score like an insane, you know, 60 goals a season for 10 years to qualify for that. And Mbappe's already making 50 percent more than that uh, at this point in PSG. So, yeah, it's uh, it seems like a lot of money out. It seems like these um, it seems like uh 
these uh, clubs Jurgen Klopp was talking about last week may have upped the ante somewhat. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Fit asked that question. Pretty strange. Yeah, very disappointed, yeah, but there you go. What have I become? My sweetest friend. I mean, at the time I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. Goes away. She just played in, just played in. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. And you could have it all. No, well, it doesn't matter really what you think. You weren't there at the time. I will let you down. You weren't an international player. I will make you hurt. And you hadn't had the frustrations I had. If I could start again. You've not played at the international level. A million miles away. And you hadn't been accused of taking an injury, so... I will keep myself. What you think doesn't really matter. I would find... Josh Robinson, it's great to talk to you on the podcast again. Thanks for having me. Um, maybe we should start with the two the two actual human beings at the center of it. You, you sort of consider Messi and Ronaldo throughout this book as a sort of a two-headed beast, you know, that, that, that they're in a way almost, they have a lot in common with each other, in a way are almost dependent on each other. Uh, can we start with what they have in common? Both are, are kind of outsiders who came from a long way away, uh, you know, to, at an early age and uh, originally were bullied uh, for their weird accents. Yeah, that's right. Um, Cristiano moved to Lisbon and it turns out, and this is uh, failing on my knowledge of uh, Portuguese, I guess, but it turns out there's a very strong Madeira accent and the other kids at the Sporting Lisbon Academy did not let him forget it, um, which I guess was one thing because, you know, the kids at the Barcelona Academy, when they met Messi, thought he was mute. 
um, because he just never spoke. And then when he did, it was occasionally with this very thick Argentine accent. But yeah, they they both came from a very long way away. And, uh, you know, it turns out we're also these frothing competitive monsters. And one of my favorite parts of, of the book in, in working on it was writing about the youth team games of Messi when they're winning 25 and 30 nil and he's getting upset because, you know, some other guy has 11 goals and he's only got 10. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So I mean, that that um, that competitiveness of Messi, you know, the rage quitting on PlayStation, and so on, as you write. But um, the other other aspects is that are the um, the kind of physical shortcomings that they both have to overcome. I mean, Messi's story is is well known. You know, the sort of growth hormones and all this kind of thing. But I was quite interested to read, read about Ronaldo um, in terms of his own at least his sense of his own physical shortcomings, which certainly aren't apparent to anyone who would look at him now. I mean, he seems like, you know, one of the most natural athletes anyone um, could think of. But it seems as though he he at least thought of himself for quite a long time when he was young was just not strong enough. Yeah, he, he was very aware early on that what he needed to do was bulk up and get stronger and quicker. And, you know, to the point where he was in the sporting gym so much that they had to lock the doors at night because he'd try to sneak in. And when he stopped being able to climb over a fence and break into the gym, um, he was filling up water bottles and running around with those and, you know, racing cars away from stoplights uh, around Lisbon. This is, this was for him very much the pathway to everything he wanted to achieve. He realized the first thing he needed to do was, become a, a physical presence. Um, and then, you know, much of the finishing skill and his transformation into the gold machine we know him as came much later. And that was, uh, you know, during his time at United. Now, well, you, you do conclude or you, you write at one point, uh, contrary to public perception, Messi and Ronaldo are not antithesis. They're two expressions of the same merciless drive a physical and psychological need for perfection. It's their similarities, not their differences, to make it so difficult to weigh one up without the other. And I agree with a lot in that, but I I wonder is it as true of Messi as it is of Ronaldo? I mean, a, a physical and psychological need for perfection certainly seems more evident, uh, more outwardly evident uh, in Ronaldo than it does in Messi, who, you know, spent the first half of his career just eating pizza and, and this type of thing. So... <laughs> Well, you know, why, what are the, how, how can you say that's, or why do you believe that's also as true of Messi as it is of the other? It's, it's true in the sense of the standards he holds himself to uh, in a much more, I guess you could say football purist way, but he holds himself to unbelievable standards and his teammates. And for much of his career, you know, he didn't really need to worry about all that much because he was blessed with having Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets and, and those guys around him. But we've seen it more in recent years, and it's the it's the years post-Guardiola at Barcelona when you could see the outward sulking at managers at feeling that he was played out of position or not used in the right roles, or his frustration with many of the, and there have been a lot, subpar teammates who, uh, who followed into, uh, into Barcelona. And then, you know, the, the transition to PSG, ultimately, that during that first season, you could see him often looking around completely bemused at what he had gotten, him, what he had gotten himself into. Um, because, and, and the, the disappointment was, uh, we know was was very present because he was telling people um, uh, about the lack of 
uh, or, or how it had not lived up to the expectations and the standards that he was setting. Yeah. I mean, the standards, obviously, that they set uh, in the peak years of their career uh, were unprecedented. Um, and you talk about the the kind of the explosions that they both had, you know, in, in their career. Um, Messi, you know, with when Guardiola arrived and the sort of the, the tactical elements of that and the false nine and how he was able to sort of unleash this kind of uh, goal scoring uh, potential that, that kind of was undreamed of before. The the Ronaldo story, though, and you've already kind of referred to it there, is is really interesting. I never realized the 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 the, the part Rene Mullenstein. Maybe I don't spend enough time talking to Rene Mullenstein, but uh, <laughs> I I never realized uh, that there that there was a sort of a key episode which uh, which set him on the on the path. That's it, um, and it was after the red card against Portsmouth uh, early on in his, in his time at United, when he, you know, his, his first couple years, he was still very much out of the wing. He was not the, you know, the, the goal machine, um, that, that he came to be, especially in those last couple seasons at United. Um, but after the red card against Portsmouth, suddenly he found himself without a competitive game for about three weeks because it was the combination of the suspension and an international break. Um, and Mullenstein took him aside he knew the ferocious work ethic was there. And they said, okay, basically he was going to say, he was going to turn him into a proper finisher because he showed him all of this tape of the United greats who'd come before him. And it made Ronaldo understand that most of those goals, you know, when you're racking up crazy numbers, are tap-ins, are little finishes from inside the box. Not everything has to be a free kick from 25 yards out. Um, and he worked with him for weeks on picking the right finish for the right position uh, and also shaping his game. And there's an exchange that I still love between him and between Mullenstein and, and Ronaldo asking him, who's the quickest guy on the team? And Cristiano says, well, it's me. And he says, okay, and who's the best passer on the team? Well, it's Paul Scholes. And can Paul Scholes put the ball anywhere he wants? He says, yep then why are you always asking for the ball into feet? If you're the quickest guy and he can put it over the top, you should be running in behind. The next season, Cristiano scores 31 goals. Credit to you, Randy saying <laughs> He should do more of these. He should put on more of these clinics, I think. But the book is is really good. I mean, anyone who's read your, your previous book uh, about the formation of the Premier League will not be at the club, of course, as the title, will not be surprised to know that there's a lot of good information here about the... The sort of the commercial side of football and the kind of deals that are going on all the time, um, you know, outside the, you know, off the pitch. Um, and you talk at an early point about the, well, let's talk, talk, let's talk a little bit about Nike here, Nike and football, because, uh, you know, as you lay out, Adidas and Puma had been the kind of the two main football brands. Um, and Nike still, by the, by the time of the 1994 World Cup, was a total outsider in football. Um, and there's a guy called Jelly Helm, I think his name is. Jelly Helm, Jelly Helm, one of the uh, insightful Nike executives of the mid-90s. The quote from him um, is, we, we knew if we could assemble a team of all-star footballers, European kids would fucking freak out. And uh, I, I never put two and two together, but that's what those ads were about. That's what it was. That's what it was, because that's what America understands. All-star teams, 
um, you want situations where all the best guys are suddenly on this super team. And, you know, in, in many ways, that's the story of European sports over the past 30 years. You know, remember LeBron going to the Miami Heat with um, and trying to assemble a super team there. It was true of the, the Lakers even before that. Um, but yeah, that was the approach for Nike because the 94 World Cup came around in the United States and they realized, okay, we can't ignore this anymore. So they were going to bring this, you know, uh, disruptive, not to overuse the word, approach to, to football before anyone knew what a disruptor was. Um, and they they were going to pick up these brash stars who were really aimed at, you know, not, not in the way that Adidas used to be kind of spirit of football and all that. They were like, okay, we're going to get 90s teenagers into football and we're going to give them something. We're going to speak to them. And so that's why the figures they were after were people like Ian Wright and, and the Brazilian Ronaldo. Um, and what it led them to was developing this network of, of scouts and, you know, talent spotters. Um, and in the early 2000s, they had somehow wound up with both Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi on their books. Yeah, so they made a, um, they made a right mess of that because Messi. I mean, the as you you know as you mentioned, the the greatest Nike footballer spent most of his career playing for an Adidas club at Real Madrid, and the the greatest Adidas footballer played for a Nike club. But Messi was originally Nike, so who dropped the ball there? Well, it was it was a number of reasons, but most of them tie back to Messi's father, Jorge, who was forever. Uh, asking for for greater considerations from uh, from Nike, you know, and in in various tellings that that we have in the book um, and that were told to us by former executives, you know, it was the combination of Adidas coming in with a million dollar a year offer for Messi, uh, which was a lot of money for a teenager in those days. Um, Nike deciding not to go to war for for a teenager. But also Jorge Messi asking for extra tracksuits and things like that and finding that no one was answering his calls. Um, so all of that added up to him saying, you know what, Nike's not treating us right and moving his son over to Adidas. Um, and, you know, for many years after that, Nike told itself, okay, we got the right one of the two if if you're talking strictly about pitch men. Um, and the, the consolation was... Imagine if uh, how much trouble we'd have been in if Messi had a personality. <laughs> well, um, Messi does have a, have a personality. I suppose when he he sort of tends to keep under wraps a little bit. But um, you talk. I mean, this is obviously also the story of to to a large extent the story of uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, the two clubs where they where they spent most of their time, um, and in the period that they uh, played for these clubs you, there, there is a change well but this is something i guess which has already been underway in spanish football but a change in the business model of spanish football from one essentially based on debt to one driven by sponsorship um can you talk a bit about the impact that messi and ronaldo specifically had on kind of driving or accentuating that trend yeah this is you know, this is when you talk about the scope of the book, this was for us one of the really important things uh, we wanted to get into because, you know, the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry, which they they stopped controlling very early on, um, you know, came and piggybacked on the Barca-Real rivalry. Um, and, and 
that it rippled out over so much of football. And this was one of the main areas because uh, it's important to remember that Spanish football in a business sense was kind of a backwater uh, in the early 2000s. Um, you know, it was it was politically driven by a few, you know, elections here and there that, that are run in, in, you know, nominally democratic ways, but increasingly set up so that only one candidate can win. Uh, or one candidate even has a chance of winning, um, and and they had they were far far behind the Premier League in terms of television rights and commercial development, and even after uh, Messi, you know Barcelona had Messi and this great team of 2008 to 2012 under Guardiola, they realized they still did not capitalize enough because Barcelona being Barcelona, it always has that. Catalan orientation, everything, you know, is is focused on that first, and then it's the rest of the world. So when it had Messi, it was still doing deals with local sponsors. Um, you know, their their big banking sponsor was uh, was La Caixa. Their big beer sponsor was the local beer. Um, and one executive told us later that the mistake they made in those at that time was not seeking out the big global deals. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned the Super League, I mean, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to here at some point. But um, another thing that comes up is, uh, well, that came up recently when Todd Bowley raised it, was the All-Star Game, um, which, you know, everybody pours scoring on Todd Bowley. But obviously, you know, people have been thinking about this sort of thing for a long time. I mean, you've got the story of Robert Bonnier, I guess. Um, his uh, His name is whose concept for an all-star game was actually to have Messi's team against Ronaldo's team. That's right. And and in 2016, 2017, when they were trying to put this project together for an all-star game to be held at Wembley, um, which came quite close to happening uh, because both camps were, were on board with the project, um, it seemed like a very natural axis for organizing a, a an all-star game in football. But the you fact know. is that, that it was, it, it already was. I mean, this is what Real Madrid and Barcelona had been doing for the last exactly. you know, 10, 10 years. <laughs> that, that, that just meant Real I mean, the, you know, that's that's something that you, that you, that's sort of spelled out here in the book. That almost consciously is what Barcelona and Real Madrid between them had created during this period, a world all-star game. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was also their undoing because you have to feed that that impression all the time. You're not just paying Cristiano and, and Messi's outrageous salaries. You're also constantly having to replenish the cast around them. And, and so that means that you're you're digging yourself into this financial hole. And we know that it's tough to compete for more than four or five years at a time. Uh, try doing it for 10. Yeah, this whole process of having to sort of feed the monster that you've created um, and the, the kind of... The slightly obsessive, well, slightly obsessive, I mean, the obsessive behaviors of these uh, geniuses as they as they continue to kind of uh, amass uh, glory and greatness, and it takes different forms in each of their cases. I mean, Ronaldo. I, I have to say, Josh, I find Ronaldo's story is more is more cinematic. <laughs> there's 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 it's there's sort of a little bit more drama or something going on in it, but there's also also the character of Ronaldo is just. He's he's sort of interesting in a strange way. There's some incredible stuff in here about his um, 
this kind of obsession, which which we all know he has with 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 sort of quantifiable achievements. I mean, you talk about his museum and all of this stuff that's laid out. You know, all the replicas of all the trophies, all of the stuff, all you know, all the goals, all the records, and everything. But that that unbelievable story about Ronaldo. Is it like the, the, the former fitness trainer of, of sporting or something? Basically, a guy who knew Ronaldo back when he was knee-high to a grasshopper uh, comes and meets him at some much, is it probably still at Real Madrid, uh, in his in his late phase at Real Madrid, you know, when he's, you know, the, the greatest or second greatest player in the world. And let's just say what happens is not is not the kind of chat I would expect to have unfolded between, you know, uh, a great player and his former mentor. That's right. Um, his his former fitness coach at Sporting comes to visit him and ends up spending about two or three hours waiting for him to come out after training. He's seen all the other players go by, uh, but Cristiano has to do the ice bath and the massage and the steam room and everything else. And he's ready to leave. And he said the receptionist tells him, no, no, if Cristiano said he's going to come out and say hello, he's going to come and say hello. Um, so he waits. Cristiano comes out and... <laughs> it's one of it's such a funny way that he told us this story um they're standing out chatting in the sun in the parking lot and he says look professor which is the term of uh, address he uses and pulls a list out of his pocket with all of the individual achievements and all the trophies he's won because he has this constant need almost pathological to remind people of his achievements um and it was when when the fitness coach told us this, we almost couldn't believe it. And he was he said, neither could I. Um, you know, everyone in football knows what Cristiano's achieved, but that's not good enough for Cristiano. He has to tell you too. It, it, I honestly find that amazing. I mean, and I suppose it's of a piece with, with other things you hear about Ronaldo, but just that kind of. You know, you have another one about how he how he blocked um, transfer market because uh, they they only rated him at seventy five million euros, even though he was already thirty five years old, and this pissed them off so much that he that he blocked them on social media. The the thing that Messi though is obsessed with is nothing is uh, not the sort of trinkets and baubles um, uh, and and statistics um, that interests uh, Cristiano, but um, numbers of a different kind. Money. This man is more obsessed with money. Uh, or at least those who act for him are, than possibly any other, uh, <laughs> I can't think of too many, who are more obsessed with money. As you illustrate with this, another equally incredible story about Jorge Messi um, suggesting, well, relaying the message from his son uh, to Barcelona's then-president Bartomeu that uh, Leo would like Angel Di Maria to be part of our team. Um, and obviously that didn't happen, but can you tell us what did? Yeah, the Bartomeu couldn't go out and get Di Maria, and uh, Messi said, uh, Messi's father suggested, well, you were prepared to spend tens of millions to, to go get Di Maria, right? And he says, yeah. And he says, well, you know, if that's not possible, I think that money uh, would find a very nice home in uh, Leo's next pay rise. Just give it to Leo. If you can't give it to, <laughs> if you can't get Angel Di Maria for 30 million, just give it to Leo. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this this was not necessarily just a feature of late period Messi at Barcelona. This was even when he had just begun emerging. Jorge was banging down Laporta's door constantly every 18 months or so trying to re renegotiate his contract. And there was always something that was dangled out there. It was either, 
well, you know, Inter is interested. And there was the episode of Laporta having to get messy Spanish citizenship because of to comply with rules on foreign players in La Liga. At that time, Jorge also used that to uh, to ex- turn it into a pay rise and an extended contract. It, this was a constant feature of dealing with the messy camp for whoever had possibly the misfortune of being Barcelona president. Yeah, and, and of course Bartomeu now is, is regarded as a, a figure of almost Liz Truss-like incompetence, um, you know, in, in terms of how his regime went and how it ultimately, you know, the 500, you, you point out uh, they gave messy contract that, that they could have bought, they could have bought six F-35s for the amount that they were paying, um, for the amount that they were paying Messi, but... What maybe people don't take into account is how they felt as though they didn't have any choice. I mean, you know, you're the president of Barcelona. Like, the most important thing is always to win for Barcelona. You've got the greatest player in the world um, on your team. You've sort of got to pay him what he demands or he's going to leave. And you've got to squander whatever money you can you can rustle up, you know, as happened with Neymar, on, on stars immediately to put around him. or Otherwise, everyone's going to accuse you of wasting the greatest player in the world. And that's kind of the one of their great legacies, and one of the things that they that Cristiano and, and Messi kind of shaped about modern football is this cult of players being bigger than clubs, um, and, and that was the thing that happened at both Real and Barcelona, which they handled in different ways because ultimately uh, Real let Cristiano leave when it became untenable. Um, and Barcelona didn't really have a choice. They were because more strong. It, it. It's because Perez ultimately was like, look, this the Real Madrid is a club all about me. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, Perez obviously was like, Real Madrid is, is a is a great institution. It's bigger, it's bigger than any player. But he kind of had the self-confidence, uh, having been the president of Real Madrid for so long and had so much success that he was basically able to say, yeah, you know, you have been a great player, but you're getting to the point where um, you're, you know, the the sort of... Uh, return on investment is no longer what it used to be. So I'm prepared to say goodbye to you in a way that Bartomeu, who was who was really a nobody, you know, in this, mm-hmm. I mean, he'd been president of Barcelona, but it wasn't as though he was a, as respected a figure as Perez, was just too afraid to, to be that guy. That's it. Um, you know, Ronaldo ran into an ego that was his match and, <laughs> and no one at Barcelona was able to do that against, uh, against Messi. Um, the fact is that teams ebb, ebb and and fall in sort of three, four, five-year cycles. Um, and as we were saying before, if you've got a player like that for nine or 10 years, in American sports, they call it a championship window, you know, your opportunity to win titles. But if that championship window is nine years because you happen to have one of the all-time greats with you, then you have to keep feeding that beast. And if you don't, it's a dereliction of duty. Yeah. Um, you know, history will not remember Bartomeu kindly, and it would remember him even worse if he had been the guy to completely waste the messy years. Yeah. Um, the, we, I mean, you say they sort of pioneered this era of players becoming bigger than the clubs. But what's also interesting is the way that the financial empires or the, the sort of web of commercial interests surrounding these players become bigger than the players themselves and sort of tr- begin to entrap them. And... Uh, there's a there's a great line. What is it? Um, uh, the freedom of movement. This this is what you're, you're talking about. I think Arsene Wenger says to you, uh, you know, you're going to see the bit the best players starting to move for free because these transfer fees are insane, and with the salaries as well, it's actually too much for anyone. So what they're going to do is move for free. And we I guess we saw that with Mbappe staying at um, 
staying at PSG, essentially being re-signed on a free transfer for PSG for, for hundreds of millions of euros. That freedom of movement, movement this is uh, the line, should not, however, be mistaken for player power. Messi and Ronaldo ushered in a new level of celebrity in soccer and changed the economics of the sport. But even when they looked like the engines of the show, it turned out they still lacked agency. That is a, is a kind of a feeling, an abiding impression I'm left with, having read the story, how the, the money begins to dictate the course of events, it begins to dictate the course of their careers. And you look at them now, I mean, Ronaldo was at United because United wants, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo wants to leave United, but the reason that they signed him when they shouldn't have was because he's got, you know, what, 350 million followers on various socials and they, you know, they, they want to hitch themselves to that sort of, that marketing power. Messi's at PSG because they're really the only club that could afford him. Um, and... <laughs> I can feel like neither of them really are what they want to. Where, where, neither of them really are where they want to be at this point. But this is what money dictates now. Yeah, and and it's the reason Cristiano wound up staying at United this summer. Um, you know, the the number of clubs today who can afford players at that level, there may be six of them in the world, five, um, where you know, the, once you've been to one or two of them your options dwindle incredibly quickly and they will never, you know, they wouldn't drop down a level. You know, I don't think we'll see Ronaldo return to sporting because of, you know, some sentimental reason. They, the thing they're unable to admit about their own games is that there would ever be a drop off. And this is the reality we're dealing with at the moment where every week remains a, a kind of referendum on their legacies, even, you know, in the way that it was in 2012. But the difference is that 10 years later, it's very different. Um, you know, they're, they're severely diminished. They're not what they were. And Ronaldo in particular, who is older and was always more dependent on the physical side of his game, just looks like he's out there on 1% battery half the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole, obviously, they, they both had the, another thing they had in common was they both ended up um, engulfed by sort of tax scandal as their uh, financial empires, uh, the Spanish uh, authorities found uh, found some issues with uh, the small amount of taxes they were, or the, you know, they weren't paying as much tax as they should. And obviously, both of them sort of are are uh, saying, well, you know, I mean, you think I keep track of all this stuff? I've got people who do that. You know, I'm, I'm very disappointed in those people. Um, you know, and I can, which I guess I can, I mean, it's clear that these, they are sort of too big to self-manage in that sense. But I, I have to say that like this, this type of thing seems to be happening, is happening now to superstars earlier and earlier. Like there's a, there's a, there's a chilling line from someone at PSG, uh, or actually you, you had written this PSG understood as few others did that the 34 year old Messi had somehow been undermarketed his entire career. And I just thought, wow. What, what lies in store for Kiki, um, Kylian Mbappe, who, of course, you interviewed recently for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, I think he was rolling around New York with his entourage. Um, and, you know, I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like to, to meet the sort of the Mbappe experience? I mean, these guys are not footballers. I mean, they're, they're footballers. They're one of the greatest footballers in the world. But like the football is an increasingly small part of what they do. The PSG, a PSG insider says there is always football, but it's not the most important part. I, f I feel sort of sorry for these guys who are expected to be great players, but there's all this other stuff that sort of is what constitutes the life of a superstar player now. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And they find themselves in situations where football becomes the platform for everything else. Um, you know, they realize that their careers are short, that it's going to be, you know, 10, 12, 15 years at best. And then after that, they they want to do other things. They either want to be movie stars or models or or more. Maybe that was more of the, the 90s, 2000s framework. You know, today they want to be straddling this global empire of something. They want to be Michael Jordan, know. basically. They, they all sort of want what Michael Jordan has now for some reason. Yeah, exactly. But And it's not enough to have a clothing line. And it's not enough to be ambassador for whatever. They also want to have production companies, which Mbappe already does. And he's 23 years old. Um, and he's very, for me, he is the pure product of the Messi-Ronaldo era. He grew up watching them. He saw everything that that they had done the missteps, but also the successes and realized if you could control this and get on that treadmill very early as he did with Nike from the age of about 12 years old, um, then the world would be his oyster. And it's, you know, it's not surprising to me that he's, that Mbappe speaks excellent, excellent English, that he also learned Spanish along the way. You know, all of this was not in preparation to become one of the best footballers in the world. It was in preparation to just become one of the most famous people in the world. And I think that's exactly, you know, where with the position that Cristiano is in. He's got 480 million Instagram followers. He's the most followed person on that platform. Um, and he's still going around with a, with a piece of paper in his pocket, which lists all his achievements, which he um, feverishly tells anyone he happens to have a conversation with. I mean, it's... it's it, you know, I mean, you could think about where he, that's at the headspace where that he's evidently inhabiting. I mean, I'm sure all of these things, you know, it's it's part of the reason why he's been so successful is that sort of determination to always have to always prove it. But in the case of Mbappe, I find him so interesting because he is the he is the, the next the heir to these guys. I mean, he's he's one of them, obviously. I feel like his career has already gone off the rails a little bit. I know that his he's he's won the World Cup. Um, he's immensely wealthy. Uh, you know, as you said, the production company and all sorts of, you know, a burgeoning empire. But he's wasting his time at PSG. <laughs> he's, he, like, you know, in, in, the, in the sporting sense, there's not enough there. He's actually losing ground now to Erling Haaland, who at least has England to beat up on. You know what I mean? He, Erling Haaland is, is beating up everybody in the Premier League and wowing the world in a way that... Mbappe, for all of the money he's making and all of the slick documentaries, he, his production company may be turning out. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they may be making some great content, but like it does ultimately come back to football. And, you know, Ligue 1, with, with all due respect, is not the stage for the greatest player of the era. Well, I think I think he's run into a landscape that's different from the one that, that Messi and Ronaldo uh, were, were on at his age, because you know, not to not to sound like an old crank here, but it was a far simpler time when you look around European football and it's like, well, Man U has a lot of money and Barcelona and Real Madrid have a lot of money. And that's, you know, that's your royalty. But now the interest, you know, and I'm, what I want to do is make a lot of money and win trophies. Those clubs are going to make it happen for you. But if your project and your ambition goes far beyond that, and you now have a handful of clubs with, you know, geopolitically loaded, uh, international wealth in that way uh, that PSG does, then the the arguments just become much more freighted with everything else, and they are they are able to offer a level of money that neither Cristiano nor Messi had imagined twenty years ago. Um, 
and the the centers of power have have shifted so much that it league, which domestic league you play in matters less at least to someone like mbappe um and, and and he's just found himself in this position where the pressure of lining himself up with messi and with a club like psg um eventually outweighed everything else and we know that the mistake he's making is perhaps one that that Messi made for a long time as well, which is, you know, taking the advice of people who really aren't trained in that department. And we're talking about, you know, his parents mainly. Um, I, I always think to myself that if he were American and playing in the NBA or the NFL, he would have Madison Avenue firms, you know, behind him and polishing his image in much more sophisticated ways. And that's the undermarketed bit of Messi too. Well, that, that's, I mean, I I don't have the 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 knowledge really or the, the expertise in this to to grasp grasp the ways in which, for, for instance, Mbappe's image is being underexploited. You, you do raise an interesting point though about the family representation. Obviously, uh, Messi did this. Ronaldo had George Mendes, who was not a. Uh, a relative. Why do you think it's a mistake? I mean, you know, it, it's Holland is doing that as well. Um, you know, he did have Mino Raiola on board. That's that's true, but it's clear that his his father is a kind of a co-agent there. You know, I mean, in in terms of the family wealth, it certainly seems to be uh, a good option in terms of keeping as much of the commission uh, commissions and whatever is going in house. Uh, why do you think um, Why do you think it's a mistake for Mbappe to go down that road? There are people out there who uh, have a, you know, it, it's not so much about the ability to make the decisions. It's the ability to know what's out there and you know which levers to pull, to borrow an expression from uh, Barcelona's administration. Um, I, I just think that if you are a parent of Mbappe, you know, you are equipped to make a you know certain number of decisions around you know, salary and which club you should play for and, you know, who his big partners should be. But the idea, for instance, for a production company is like, is that, is that what he needs? Is that, is that the thing that's going to propel him into a, a larger level of stardom um, and, and uh, cement his legacy? I don't know. Uh, it just feels like there are different uh, avenues for him to go down and, that that might be uh, that might benefit from like a, a more clear headed set of uh, advisors. I just feel as though the thing he, I mean, and, and I okay, I'll I'll accept this. This may make me sound like an old uh, crank or whatever, but I'd be pretty surprised if Kylian Mbappe turned out to be as good at anything else as he is at football. I mean, he'd be a lucky, he'd be a very lucky man if he turned out to be as talented as at any other thing as he is at football, which is a good thing. To be very talented at, you know, it it, uh, it opens a lot of doors. <laughs> you know, you can have a lot of success that way. It just feels to me as though that should always be his priority. And 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 in in his case, it, it, you know, at PSG, it feels as though it, it clearly can't be because if it was, he wouldn't be there. It's 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 an amazing thing with Mbappe that, uh, you know, for for such, such an exciting player who who really. 
um, should be dominating this uh, the football space. I find myself saying for some reason <laughs> should be dominating the space. All I seem to read about him at the moment is, oh yeah, he's he's falling out with Neymar. No, he's a bit bored with Neymar now. He thinks uh, maybe it's time for Neymar to go. Maybe Messi is more to teach him at this stage, and you know, sort of dictating terms to the club. And there was that story last week about, oh, I, I want to leave. It's all kind of these are all bad stories. None of it is about what Mbappe is actually doing. I mean, when Messi and Ronaldo were at their peak, it was just all, oh my God, look at this. Have you seen what he did? Look at this. You know, it was just goal after goal. It was success after success. And when Mbappe, things just seemed to have kind of lost direction a little bit. I wonder where he learned that a star player could also be a de facto sporting director. Um, you know, this was very much the case for, for Messi in the years after Guardiola left. And it was certainly the case with Ronaldo, uh, you know, especially in the during the Champions League year, winning years at, at Real Madrid when he was basically dismissing coaches single-handedly. You know, it was very much the case with Rafa Benitez, the guy that they called the number 10 behind his back. Um, you know, it's that was, again, it comes back to this idea that they made it okay for players to be bigger than clubs if they were talented enough. And Mbappe spent his whole life being told he was talented enough. Mm. Two more quick ones for you, Josh. Um, there's a, first of all, there, there's a whole lot in here. Oh, there's tons in the book that we haven't had time to talk about. But there's, there's a lot in here about, uh, you know, uh, the, the Super League, for instance. Um, the Super League is being the latest of these types of uh, schemes that people like Fiorentino Perez and obviously the the English or the American owners, uh, not just the American owners, but mainly the American owners, I guess, in the Premier League sort of uh, came up with to try to find a way to find an accommodation with the the kind of the power of City, uh, PSG and so on. Um, and obviously the Super League got knocked on the head, it seemed like at the time, but there's a court case on now. And really, I, I wonder, um, to put your speculative hat on, uh, how soon do you expect to, what year do you expect we will see the first season of the Super League uh, and what form will it take? <laughs> uh, totally guessing. I would say that, you know, by, by the next major reorganization of the, uh, of the competitive calendar, you know, sometime around probably 26 or 27, football will look radically different to what we know it as today. Um and what form? I think you know. Uh, there's been talk this week about the company that's actually that's in court trying to uh, break up the so-called monopoly of UEFA, um, saying, "Okay, we realize we we messed up the first time around. This time there would be no guaranteed places." But I think that really just means there will be guaranteed players, places, but we're going to guarantee them in a different way. Because mm. um, otherwise, otherwise, there's no the point. Criteria, yeah, right. The criteria will not be you have to be called Real Madrid. Uh, it, it'll be something else, you know, dressed up as a kind of legacy calculation, you know, some kind of coefficient that very few people will want to take the time to analyze. But hey, it always keeps spitting out Man United and uh, and Liverpool and Real Madrid. Yeah. Okay. And so you think twenty six, twenty seven. The other thing I have to ask is uh, quite a simple one, really. Who's better? <laughs> uh, well, as as we lay out in the book, you know, it's not just about picking which one's better and which one you side with. Uh, tell, it says a lot about your worldview and how you view 
what's important in football? What's important maybe in life? Uh, you know, is it about the results or is it about how you get there? Is, is it, about it about all the awards you win or the money you make? Yeah, what's on the list? Um, and, you know, I found it really interesting. One of the people choose them for different reasons. But one of the things that I seem to encounter a lot, and this is just a, you know, sticking my finger in the wind, but it feels like a lot of fans and a lot of football purists end up siding with Messi, but a lot of players end up siding with Ronaldo. And I find that so interesting because Messi is, yeah, other players, because they see something in Ronaldo that's more achievable. And it's, if you work hard enough and you want it hard enough, you can reach that level. Doing what Messi does is difficult to understand, even for other players sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, see, that's why I think he's better. But you still haven't <laughs> you still haven't answered the question. Are you saying you're gonna you're gonna stay on the fence here? You're gonna say I've 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 laid it all out there. You make is that what you're saying to us, Josh? You're not gonna you're not gonna pick a side. I don't think I can pick a side. I feel oh, like in writing this. the book, I've spent so much time with both of them, uh, just thinking about them. It's you know, it, I think my answer can change on any given day, okay. depending uh, and. You know, depending on which chapter I was working on, there well, were days when I was definitely like, "Look, Cristiano has such much a much more textured personality," but also then sit around watching highlights of Messi, and it's like, "Yeah, this is the one." Well, we can end on that elegant evasion, uh, Josh Robinson. The book is Messi vs. Ronaldo. Yourself and Jonathan Clegg have done a great job on it, and thanks for talking to us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Second Captain Show. Second Captain Show. It's the best thing in the world for you because it's full of protein. protein. This is not a take of football people who know the game. game. No respect, no honor. What's the respect of my day? The dog shit the bed on. But who plays rugby? I imagine it was like something you would expect to see in a porno movie. No, they do. But they no. do. Sorry, on. They do not. They're the balls. Shut up, the two of you. I just want to play commentary at a goal. Final Friday! I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You get the ball forward, you compete, you chase people, you close people down, you create excitement, you win balls when you shouldn't win balls, you commit yourself to the game. Excellent chat with Josh there. The book sounds really good. I, I mean, I'm, I am. I'm just slightly disappointed that he didn't plumb for one or the other. You know, that's the way you got to market this thing, Josh. <laughs> you you got to. Robinson claims yeah. me, Ronaldo better than Messi. That would probably be the way to shake things up. Well, an explosive new book. Yes. Yeah. 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 Where it concludes or yeah. new evidence confirms <laughs> that would be it. Ronaldo yeah, yeah, yeah. better than Messi. Yeah. I mean, obviously, then you'd have like uh, the the fifty million Messi bots. Um, I mean, kinda ha- he kind of has to plumb for Ronaldo. Because it's a one-star rating. You think you know, Ronaldo's the Ronaldo boss? I, to be honest, well, no. I mean, I would rather to... have the Ronaldo boss on my team. Yeah. If it if if, if it was me uh, trying to uh, trying to determine a course of action that would do the least damage to my Amazon star rating of my new book, <laughs> I would probably say Ronaldo was better. Yeah. But also, as, I mean, as, as it's not me, I'm, I'm yeah. going to say clearly Messi's better. And if you want evidence, on just look at the goal that he scored that you ignored uh, in for PSG uh, while Ronaldo was sitting on the bench. Messi was scoring a goal that Ronaldo couldn't mm. score. So, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I, it's not quite uh, dog bites man, man, man bites dog, but I mean... Say Robinson in explosive new book claims Messi better than Ronaldo just doesn't really have 
Yeah. It's not really that explosive, really, is it? That's what I'm saying to you. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm yeah. saying to you. The last thing today is the draw for the World Cup next year at the Republic of Ireland, placed in a group with co-host Australia, Olympic gold medalist Canada, and African champions Nigeria. The face of it sounds a bit tricky, but it's okay. The co-host bit is good. It's very good. This is exactly what Karen Duggan asked for when she was on with us last uh, couple of weeks ago after we qualified, play against one of the host nations who aren't as strong as some of the other pot one teams. Bingo. And don't forget Australia, the team we beat last year in a friendly after losing loads of matches. Mm. We turned the whole thing around by beating them and that set us up for the qualifiers. Also, you're playing Australia in the opening day of a tournament being hosted in Australia. You're playing in Sydney in front of a huge crowd. The times are out as well. It's 8pm locals. That's 10am Irish time on the, the, the ter- on a Thursday. So it's a Thursday morning in the middle of the summer. Playing against Australia, oh, what more do you want? Yeah, honestly, amazing. Absolutely I'm really brilliant. happy with the Australia bit. The other bit's not so good. A grueling four thousand kilometer flight to Perth <laughs> to play Olympic champions Canada. At least there's a bit of a gap between those games. That one's on Wednesday, July 26th. So it's almost a week later. It's one p.m. Irish time. Have that right? Yeah, one p.m. Irish time. Um, yeah, you know, Canada Olympic champions, fine, but they needed a penalty shootout to beat the Swedes in the final. After a one-all draw, exact same result we got against Sweden mm-hmm. in these qualifiers. So, you know. Okay, we're probably going to lose to Canada. Yeah. That's um, I'll give you that. And Nigeria, apparently, are by a mile the best team in the fourth pod. I so feel tricky. like the fourth pod one was the That's one that the we could That's the tricky one. Yeah, there's a couple of... We there, could have done there will be there, a few, for sure. Let's be fair, there will be a few bad teams in this tournament. Yeah. We won't be playing against any of the bad no. teams in the tournament. That would have would have worked out nicely. That one is going to be on Monday, July 1st at 8pm local time in Brisbane. The, the travelling is a joke like it's the only group where they have to travel around like this it's an absolute stinger really but uh, that's going to be 11am so the games are 10am Irish time on a Thursday the second one is at 1pm on a Wednesday and then 11am on a Monday uh, the times are really good good times yeah, good great times, times. Mm. Uh, mixed but there's also a bit of doubt around November training camp and the warm-up games that we, one would presume we'd be playing at this time of year because there is an international window there but the team's budget was set for the year and Vera Pau decided to use it in June to get a proper training camp and get things sorted ahead of the end of the qualifiers, which makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be any money left now to set them up with a proper camp and everything they need in November. So this is, you know, these almost legacy issues uh, still seem to be hanging around a little bit. She says, everyone's doing their utmost. It's a bit unfortunate that we're talking about it because it feels like I'm putting pressure. I'm not. I promise not to do that. So listen, hopefully um, mm. things uh, will listen, happen there. I back our TDs to step forward and for the good of the game yeah. I'm looking at you Peter Fitzpatrick <laughs> Louth TD uh, other members of the uh, sports select committee that we heard uh, dealing so effectively with the John Delaney crisis in the FAI over the last couple of years I back those guys <laughs> on to come forward and make Vera Pau's November dreams a reality. I oh. think they've got it with it. I've, I think they've got it in them. Speaking of John Delaney, actually, did you did you see Mark Ty reporting over the weekend that? Um, yeah, I saw this. Yeah, so so Delaney had been there had been a sort of legal battle uh, for apparently going on nearly three years, but on Friday, uh, and this was Delaney was claiming that one thousand one hundred twenty three of his FAI emails and a handful of hard copy records. Uh, should not be or should be shielded from the uh, corporate enforcement authority who are looking into it. So he claimed there's legal privilege which prevented them from accessing these things. And apparently the court uh, ruled on Friday now. Well, let's have a look at those. Let's have a look at those emails. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it looks as though uh, they well, they'll now be part of the investigation. 
whether we'll actually get, ever get to see them out remains to be seen. But uh, but uh, certainly they will enjoy a wider audience than John Delaney ever intended for them. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening today. Thanks. No? Nice. Thanks, Murph. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Owen. Thanks. Owen. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Leinster Munster chat tomorrow. Champions League and Kelly Harrington during the week. If you sign up to the World Service, and if you do so, all podcasts will be ad free. Second Captain's podcast is part of the Acast Radio Network. Got there, Eddie. That's the second time he's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.